listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Good morning, church. How we doing? Oh, that was weak. Good morning, church. How we doing? I, I know the people at Old Town were, were in, and good morning to those uh, in Novato, uh, in Marin County watching, and to all of you online. Glad you guys are with us. Glad you guys are here. Last week of summer for some of you. So sorry. So sad. Anyways, hey, um, I've been gone the last couple weeks. I was actually at our youth camp, at our houseboats camp um, a week ago. Where are my houseboats people at? Oh, they're all over here. Rowdy bunch living on boats. It was like being in a third world country. It was awesome. So, um, gosh, good, good, good stuff. I want to remind you guys. Um, so you may have noticed church is full again. Praise the Lord, right? That's a good thing. But here, here's what's going on is um, we're full. So what we're going to do is uh, starting next week at 1030, we have another service that's going to be, uh, we're launching in the venue. And it's more of a, like a, an acoustic-y, vibe kind of kind of music. It's the same sermon via video. Uh, Pastor Sean Meyer will be over there kind of hosting it and pastoring the venue. And it'll be good. The band that played last week, Cameron and his crew, they're going to be leading worship in there. And it's really good. So I want to encourage some of you, if you're like, if you came in today and you're like, it's loud and it's dark, this is going to be a way better, it'll be a venue that'll fit you better. It's still modern worship. Very good. And then we all, obviously, every every week here on North, we also have something called the Gospel Hour in the venue at 9 o'clock. And that's like, kind of like, ding, 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 ding. You know, it's like bluegrass gospel kind of music. Awesome service. That band just Burns are so good. So I encourage you guys, um, we'll have that, that open. And then in September, we're actually going to be uh, starting a Sunday night service as well. Because uh, we, we, we see everyone coming back. And not just everyone coming back, but like there's a lot of you are new. And people are coming to hear about Jesus. And we want to be able to accommodate all of that. So there'll be a Sunday night service coming in September as well. So enough of that. Enough of that. I want to encourage you guys... Um, if you're going to go to our, our business meeting, pick up the annual report. They're on the tables in the back. And now I've handled all business. So now we can get into God's word. Amen? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, we've been doing this, this series called Sinners, Saints, and Sufferers. And it's kind of been a theme throughout the year. We kind of take breaks from it. And we, we talk on other stuff. But we keep coming back to it. And really, the whole series has been on what is at the heart of Jesus. What is in Jesus' heart for us? And we've, we've kind of approached every attribute of his heart. It's like looking at a diamond from every angle, just turning it and putting it in the light. And that's what we're doing. And today, I'm gonna talk to you about Jesus being the friend of sinners and what that means. Um, you're also gonna hear a story about um, me potentially giving a bath to a homeless guy. So anyways, let's get, in, get into it right away. The text we're gonna read comes out of Matthew 11. Let me give you a little background to it so you understand what's going on here. See, um, Jesus had this cousin. His name was John the Baptist. Now, I, there's two different Johns in the New, New Testament. There's three Johns, to be honest, but we, I won't get into that. A lot of times you have the book of John, right? First John, second John, third John. That's a whole different dude than what I'm talking about today. That guy is the Apostle John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was the one Jesus loved the most, according to John. And um, he, well, it's true. And um, 
he wrote those books. But he had a guy, it was his cousin, John the Baptizer is what they called him actually. And John um, lived out in the desert. He was calling, he was like this fiery preacher calling people to repent of their sins. Repent for the kingdom is near. You know, he's just kind of fiery. Um, he baptized people in the Jordan River. He, it said he wore like clothes with, uh, made of camel skin and he ate locusts and honey and that's it. So he was just kind of this like, he was a prophet, but he was really weird. Even the religious people of the day were like, what is going on with this guy? Why is he dunking people in the Jordan? Why does he hate us so much? Because he went after the, the religious elite of that day. And this was Jesus's cousin. And they kept asking John the baptizer, John the Baptist, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the guy? Have you, have you come to, 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 to save the world, to overthrow Rome, to, to set up the kingdom of God, to make Israel, Jerusalem, the capital of the world, all of that? Are you the guy? And he said, I'm not the guy. I've come to prepare the way for the guy. And, and he, he told him that. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guy. I'm here to tell you that the guy's coming. And then he sees his cousin Jesus walking down the banks of the Jordan to get baptized. And he cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. He realizes Jesus is the Messiah. And, and here's what happens. John, while he's baptizing, he's baptizing everyone. Like everyone. Non-churchy type people. Non-religious people. And the religious elite of that day did not like it. And then to make it worse, John's just one of those guys. We all have that friend that just says what they think. Some of you are like, I have a pastor that does that too much. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but John, you know, at one point he looks up and he sees a group of like robes and religious garb and they're all standing there watching John kind of like taking notes on him like I'm watching you John don't screw up you know kind of thing and he he looks at this religious group they're called Pharisees and he says to them in, in, in very harsh language he says you brood of vipers <coughs> now what is brood of vipers what does that mean I'm going to translate it to you in plain English he looks these religious elite in the, square in the eye and he says you bloodsuckers. And he, then he just starts railing into them and talking about how hypocritical they are and all that. And they hate him. And then John also spoke out against the king. And the king had married his, his brother's wife. And John said, that's incest. You're sinning against God. You're doing all that. The king had him arrested, ended up beheading John. So Jesus is now, he's talking to the Pharisees because they don't like Jesus now. And Jesus is completely different than John. If John is like the, the super religious kind of the, we all have that really religious friend who's kind of weird, right? No, just me? Okay, I have lots of religious friends that are, can be kind of weird. And sometimes I'm that guy. But anyways, John's that guy. Jesus, though, he comes from a whole nother angle. Like, he's going to parties, he's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, he's drinking wine. He's not just drinking wine, he's making wine, like really good wine, and then drinking it. He's like eating, yucking it up, but then he's also like going to church, right? And, and they're, they're very different, and Jesus is addressing the religious lead of the day, the religious elite of the day in Matthew 11, 16 through 19. And I would love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. And I'm gonna read it to you. To what can I compare this generation? 
They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is God's word. You may be seated. So um, if you're taking notes, and um, it is a statistical fact that um, people that take notes, 98% of them will go to heaven. I'm kidding, by the way. Someone's isolating that audio right now to cancel me on you know, some religious group right now. But anyways, I'm joking. But if you want to take notes, it does help you learn better. Okay, so um, now, number one, I want you to understand something about um, just religion in general. And you might be like, well, aren't you religious? I don't actually consider myself religious. Sometimes I work for a religious institution. And um, sometimes, let, let's be honest, Clovis Hills, we're more disorganized religion anyway. So... Um, but number one is this, religious people tend to be performance-based. And let me explain to you what, what that means. See, um, there is an incredible difference between religion and the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I'm just, I'm here, I'm, this, this might be a paradigm shift for some of you. Religion actually is worthless. It actually won't get you to heaven. Um, religion... It, really can be a tool of the devil, to be honest. And the gospel is com something completely different than religion. See, religion says, I do this, God, I do this, and I do this, and I'm doing all of these things right, I'm checking these boxes, and therefore, I am deemed righteous now, so I should be able to get into heaven. And the gospel says, something completely different. The gospel says it doesn't matter how many boxes I check, how many good things I do, it doesn't matter how righteous I am, my righteousness is like a filthy rag and there's nothing I can do to get into heaven. There's not enough boxes to check. Even when I check a box for being righteous, there's something, some sinful motive behind it. And what the gospel says is this, is that I am destined for an eternity apart from God in hell unless... Jesus dies for my sin. And the Bible is really clear. I don't have to check any boxes. All I have to do is believe in my heart, confess with my mouth that Jesus died for all the sins that I've committed and that I'm going to commit. And therefore my sins are forgiven. And you're saying, no, 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 that's too easy. It can't be that. It can't be that. Here's what I want you to know. It is. That's the good news of the gospel. Now here's what happens though. Um, I believe this. I believe a lot of people give intellectual assent to that and go, yeah, 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 that makes sense. I believe that. But it never changes their life and they just go about their life sinning like hell or continuing to be religious. And here's what I want you to, to, to understand. When the gospel becomes real to you, it changes the way you start acting. You want to obey God. You want to please God, but you're not doing it so you can go to heaven. You're doing it because you're going to heaven. Because that's the person God's making you into be. Because Jesus is your Lord now. He's your Savior. He's, he's all of that. 
See, but religion says, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And then when something bad happens to a religious person, if you want to know if you're religious, when something bad happens to you, do you look up at God and go, after all I've done for you? See, that's, that's a, a scary thing. Because all of us as human beings, me too, we all have the tendency to go down the least path of resistance. And the easiest way is actually not trusting Jesus. It's, I can be in control if I follow all the rules. And if I follow all the rules, you owe me. And here's what I want you to know. That religion, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or Islam or Jediism or whatever religion you got out there, all of those are a lie from the devil and they will send you straight to hell. Because you, the Bible says you can't be righteous enough. That you have to just trust what Jesus did for you. This is the gospel. See, religion is always performance-based. Look what it says in verse 16 of this passage. Um, Jesus says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Here's the thing. The Bible is full of all kinds of rules and boxes to check. So some of you are like, I don't get it. Then what's all the rules for in the Bible? If I don't have to follow them and I just trust Jesus, why all the rules? Here, here's what I want you to understand. Um, so Israel comes out of Egypt. They've spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves. They are culturally Egyptian. They think like Egyptians. They eat like Egyptians. They've been there for 400 years. They've adopted Egypt's culture. When they come out of Egypt out of, as slaves, they go into the desert. God gives them the law, right? Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. You should do this. Do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And really what God was doing, there's a couple things going on there. First and foremost is he was using the law to create a whole new culture. He said, you are my people. I'm calling you out of slavery. I'm going to use you, the Jews, Israel, to show the world who I am, the God of the universe. I've chosen you to show the world. And he gives them these laws, and these laws create traditions, they create culture, they're good things. And they became different. They were supposed to be a peculiar people. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you're peculiar. So, the problem is, they, they, they began to think like, oh, we're chosen by God to show the world who God is. That means we're better than everyone. We're special and everyone else isn't. And I know what's going on. We're like, oh, those silly Jews. Christians are no different. We do the same thing. We've been called by God, chosen by God. And many Christians start thinking they're better than everyone else when the reality is we're not better than everyone else. The truth is I look around this room and I look in the mirror and I need forgiveness and grace more than every, anyone. We, we like... I'm always sinning. I'm always struggling with sin. And here's what the law was. The law was really also designed to be like a mirror. Now, I know we live in a world now where you can take unlimited pictures of yourself just to get the right angle, 
you know, right smile, make sure I'm like, that makes me skinnier this way, and you know, all that. And then you put like 47 filters on it, and oh, there's a blemish, let's take that out, and oh, I got a pimple, let's take that out, and oh, my nose is too long, so I'm going to share some off hair, you know, and there's apps to do all of that stuff. But here's what I want you to know, the mirror does not lie to you, does it? Every morning, I walk into my bathroom, I brush my teeth, I look in the mirror and go, oh God, there's more wrinkles. I'm getting grayer. I'm getting heavier. My body hurts as I walk in here. What's going on? The mirror doesn't lie to you. You, you can get filters. You can change the lighting. But the mirror tells you the truth. And the brighter the light, the more you realize, oh, God, that's me? This is the law. The law was meant to tell us that our face was dirty, that we needed a Savior, that we can't obey it, that we can't do this. This is what the law was for. It wasn't to check boxes and say, see, I did it, you owe me. It was to show us that we needed a Savior, that we were eternally lost from God, separated from God, that we needed saving, that we were going to hell. If I was drowning right now, if I was drowning and you were, you know, you saw me drowning, you're like, Sean, Sean, you're drowning. I know, you know, right? And you went, I have a manual on how to swim. Read this. And some of you are appalled. I just threw a Bible. I'm sorry, get over it, but I'm trying to make an illustration here. That's not what I need. I need someone to dive in and rescue me. And this is what Jesus did. He dove into humanity to rescue you. So, Religion, religious people, they, they tend to be performance-based. Like, if I do all the right things, if I vote the right way, if I act the right way, if I dress the right way, if I use all the right words, if I have the right Bible translation, if I go to a church that preaches the proper way, on and on and on. We have all kinds of, like, little things we do. Or, like, earning God's favor. And here's what I want you to know. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Number two is this, guys. Because the performance is never good enough. Number two, the performance is never good enough. You'll never check enough boxes. You'll never be good enough. That, that's just a re, the, the reality. I, I mean, that sounds very discouraging, doesn't it? Like, what did you learn at church today? I'm never going to be good enough. <laughs> I know there's a lot of churches out there like, you're special. You're good enough. You're enough. No, you're not. Bible's super clear. We're not enough. We need Jesus. I don't, I don't, like, I don't get the weird American version of Christianity we're all getting right now that like, you've got it all and you can do it. No, you need a savior. I need a savior. My sin is even in my best of deeds. Yesterday, we did a thing called Faithful Feet. Right? It was awesome. Do we have any pictures of Faithful Feet? I totally threw, I'm throwing the media team off. There's, there's a couple of them. Gave out 1,200 shoes. It was great. Um, there, there's that. Even uh, Mayor Dyer showed up, right? Which was awesome. And he didn't show for that photo op. He was there for like two hours just serving kids. He put on the Clovis Hill shirt. He said, I'm here to serve. And he was serving kids and there was no press there or anything. So... It's a sermon leader right there. But, but here, here's what I want you to understand. It's really easy when you do good things like that. You're like, see, well, I did my good deed for the day. I'm good, right, God? And see, the gospel says, no, 
that even as I was handing out the shoes or doing serving or serving people, like there's selfish motives involved in all of that. I'm still sinful. And no matter how much I perform, it's never going to be enough. Look what it says in um, Matthew eleven eighteen. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. See, John the Baptist was incredibly pious. Um, if anything, he was more righteous than the Pharisees. That's why they didn't like him. And he was calling them out on their unrighteousness. And he was calling Herod out on his unrighteousness. And, and you know, they weren't happy with John because he was too pious. He was too much. And then, and then um, here, here's what happens is, they come to Jesus and they're like, but you, Jesus, you know, you're, you're, you're a glutton and a drunkard. You're at parties, you're making wine, you're drinking wine. You know, you're not good enough either. You gotta be like us. And that's what religion always tries to do is be like us, act like us, vote like us, look like us, talk like us. And if you're not with us, you're against us. And don't think that like anything you're watching on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or those of you that are still on MySpace or Fox News or MSN, or, those are all religions too. And they're all saying, act like us, think like us, talk like us. If you're not with us, you're the bad people. See, we've replaced religion with politics, but that's still the religion of the 21st century. Oh. Some people getting pissed off. So, the other thing about the law is it's like a scale, right? It's like a scale. You can, you can try and deceive the scale, right? Like you can, I'm just going to weigh myself in the morning completely naked. I haven't eaten in eight hours, you know, and then you're trying to like, <laughs> putting a foot on the ground, and you can do that all day long. And this is what we do with God's law. Like we're always just like, yeah, see, I'm doing good, right? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. If you put both feet on it, you're screwed. That's how it works. And um, here, here, here's what I need you to understand. When I was uh, early on as a pastor, um, incredibly self-righteous. I thought I had it all together. I understood how to do this pastor thing. I understood the Bible really well. I understood God really well. And I just was very religious and I had it all put together. I remember I, I went from being a youth pastor and um, every time I opened the doors, the room's, room was packed and I preached to full houses and I just knew how to do it. And then I became a church planner and no one came and there was like 20 people every week and it was terrible and, and God was using it to humble me. But I remember my first week as a church planner, we had rented this office in the hood in Oceanside, California. If you don't know where Oceanside, California is, it's a sunny place for shady people. But anyways, my people online watching right now are laughing, but here, here's the deal. Um, I, you know, I had a guy get stabbed in front of my office. Like it was the hood, right? I, don't, I didn't need an office. There was only 20 people in my church. Like what, what did I need an office for? But I, you know, but I got one because I was what you're supposed to do, I guess. So I'm in my office and I got nothing to do because all of my 20 people are working. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? When you ask pastors what they do, especially when we're first starting out, we're like, oh God, they know. There's nothing to do. And then, you, you know, you try and build a church. So there's lots to do, but I'm sitting there and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I'm ready. Use me today. I'm yours. I'm here. I'm here in the hood. Let's do something. And just like stare at the phone for 20 minutes, waiting for it to ring. 
Nothing. Sharpened all my pencils, organized everything, organized the files on my computer. There were none. It's a brand new church. Like I, I had nothing to do. So finally, lunchtime comes around. Um, there's this Mexican restaurant around the corner from my office. It's called Mocha Salsa. It's still there in Oceanside. It's very good. I recommend it. I have a theory about Mexican food. All Mexican food is good. It's my favorite genre of food. But I've learned this, that the worse the customer service in a restaurant, the better the food is. Because mocha salsa was terrible as far as customer service. You come in and be like, I have a carne asada burrito. Can I have uh, guacamole and some cheese on it? No queso. Chicken no queso. What? I want cheese. No. They, they wouldn't give me cheese. So anyways, I, I'm walking to Mocha Salsa and it's just awesome carne asada burritos. So I'm excited. And I look in the middle of the street is one of those rascal scooters, right? The scooters, like if, if you're disabled or you're hurt and you want to cruise around in a Walmart or whatever, you get on a rascal scooter and you do that. And it's tipped over in the middle of the street. Now, mind you, I'd just been a youth pastor for 10 years. So my mind still operates like a 14-year-old, not like a pastor's. Some of you are like, still, um, 20 years deep and it still does. But my first thought was, awesome, I'm riding that. So I start walking out into the street. I get about 10 feet from it and I realize someone has fallen off of it. And the reason, I didn't see the person, but I could smell the person. As I get closer, it's clearly a homeless man who's incredibly drunk and he has defecated on himself multiple times. It's all over the seat of the thing. It's all over him. I'm just, ugh. And um, I had a master's in theology at that time, a master's of divinity. So I'm a schooled man in the deep things of God. And I asked him this brilliant question. You learn these things in grad school. I looked at him and I said, are you okay? As he lays in his own feces on the ground. No. Ended up, he ran out of battery on his scooter. He was trying to push it across the street and he fell and the thing tipped over and he couldn't get up. And so I tipped the thing back over and I kind of trying to find a clean spot on him. And I grabbed him by the arms. I put him on this cart. He's like, there's a plug over there behind the liquor store. Can you take it? So I push him there. We plug him in. And um, I'm like, hey man, God bless. And I start to walk away and I'm like, yeah, I did it. I'm a good person. I was used by God. As I walked away, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I know it was the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Uh, one, because it totally coincided with God's word. A lot of people think they hear from God, but they don't know the Bible whatsoever, so therefore they can't distinguish when it's God or bad pizza. I'm dead serious. You hear a lot, but God told me. I knew it was God because as I walked away, I heard the voice, voice of Jesus in Matthew 25. He said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. You're leaving this dude covered in his own feces. You're, it's not a good deed. So I come back and I ask him another brilliant theological question. Hey, do you want to get clean? Yeah. I, I go to Walmart. He's like, oh, my car takes three hours to charge. I'll be here. So I go to Walmart. I get him clothes. I get him a backpack. I get him a tarp. I'm like hooking him up. Toiletries. I'm re feeling really good about myself. Like, man, God, you used me today. That's a righteous deed. Thank you, God. This is awesome. I'm an awesome Christian. And I'm standing in line. And as I'm standing in line, I'm pretty sure I heard the Holy Spirit again. Because as I'm standing in line, it's like, that's really great that you got him some clothes and all that. But you're going to put brand new clothes on a man who's got his own feces all over his body. 
Well, I started to have a debate with God in line. Like, oh, well, you know, God, if you would have given me an actual church instead of making me start this church with 20 people and the church had a shower in it, we'd go back, we could totally get them cleaned up and, and I'm not in my house, my wife is there, I've got three little babies in my house and besides, you didn't give me a house that has a shower on the downstairs level so I couldn't even get them upstairs so it's your fault, you should have gave me a better house. But what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. But what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. I look up and there's a little kiddie pool. It was $9. I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. But what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So I'm kind of mad. I get out of line. I go walking. I, I get the kiddie pool it's like stacked on top. I go get like a, like a, a mop with a sponge on it, you know, so I can do this thing and soap and a towel and I buy all that and I'm driving back and I'm like I can't believe I'm doing this so I go tell the dude hey man I got you new clothes hooked you up but um you're like covered in your own feces like you need a bath man and come on back to my office I'll give you a bath he's like what I was like no it's cool I'm a pastor he's like what (laughs) so I finally talk him into it so he's going two miles an hour in his little rascal scooter down the street and I'm in my like cheap Mazda truck, you know, he's like following me down the street to my office. Pull around the back, we have a warehouse. I fill this kiddie pool up with soap and water. I put a chair on it. I help disrobe this man. He's disgusting. And at this point I'm starting to get mad. And I set him on the chair, and I'm like, how could someone let their life get to this? How could they? Yeah. And I start washing this guy, and I'm grossed out. I'm, I'm getting more and more bothered that I have to do this. And I remember um, I said, okay, God, I'm doing this for you. But it, please do not let anyone walk in the room right now. Like, I, you know, what am, how do you explain that, right? I'm not kidding. Within seconds of that prayer, the guy that helped me start the church and he was leading two of the small groups that we had that we had he opened the door looked in and went whoa and closed it <laughs> so i'm livid now at god i do this for you and you leave me with that even and i'm washing this guy and i'm grossed out and i'm angry now And I'm like, what a wretched man. He's drunk. He's covering his own feces. He's there. And I have to wash this filthy man. It's all crusted all over him. And I heard the voice of God clearer than I've ever heard it before. I heard almost audibly, yes, you are, Sean. Yes, you are. See, I was the wretched man. That even in my best deeds, I was judging this guy. That even in my my, my greatest work as a pastor, the the. 12 days I had been a pastor. I was judging this man. And see, what God was trying to show me is that it says in the book of Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. Compared to the righteousness of Jesus, nothing I could do could ever be that. It looks like this. It's it's filthy. It can never be clean on my own. And the voice of God said, yes, you are, Sean. I cleanse you like this every day day. So see, Jesus, number three, was the friend of sinners. Look what he says in verse 19. 
He says, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, he's, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Let me explain something to you. He uses this phrase, friend of sinners. And I, we need, you need to understand something. Jesus in the Bible describes several times as the friend of sinners. Now, we, we take these analogies sometimes and we screw them up in our head as human beings. And what we do is we take um, what we know about friends or, you know, like when we read in the Bible that God is like a father. We take what we know about our fathers, what we know about our friends, and we project that on God. And we, we expect that, well, God is like our, whoever our best friend is, just maybe a little better. But the truth of the matter is, we all see our friends fail us. We fail our friends. They lie to us. Sometimes we lie. We, you know, we, we, we fail people. Our fathers fail us. I am not the best father I can always be. Uh, my son's in the crowd going, amen. Um, on and on and on. We actually were going to work it out that he was just going to go, amen, and walk out. Um, <laughs> but the, the, this is the truth that what happens is, um, it's a great here's a great example. When I was church planning, um, I, I had all these expectations about how God would use our church. And I remember like no one ever came for like three or four years. We just struggled. And I'd hold these outreaches and these events and no one would come. And because I, I, it was crushing my ego and it was crushing who I was, I started to lower my expectations so I wouldn't get hurt when I did them. And that's why when I got to Clovis Hills, I had like a mild PTSD. Even though the church I left had been full at that time, I still always was like, whenever we did an event, it'd be like, well, Easter at Clovis Hills, I'm like, no one's gonna come. Because I was protecting my heart in case no one came, right? So, so, so that's, a, that's part of the human psyche, what we do. We do the same thing when we think of Jesus as the friend of sinners, when we think of God as the father, is we take what we know about friends, but how we're supposed to be a friend, how we're not a friend, how our friends aren't always friends to us, and we take those same flaws and we put them on God, when the truth is this, is that God is the perfect example of what a father is, not your father. That Jesus is the example of what the true friend is, not your friends. We get it backwards. We look at Jesus through our lens when really we need to look at what a friend is by who Jesus is for you. And he says, wisdom is proved right by her actions. You know, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 7, there's this scene that everyone who is a believer in Jesus stands before God. And it says that every tribe, every tongue, every language, every ethnicity, anyone in human history that, that believed in Jesus, whether they were a great Christian or a bad Christian, they all stand before God. And it says they're all wearing white robes. And it says that their white robes are pristine white and that they're, they're cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And it says that they're holding palm branches and we're all singing and worshiping and having this like incredible party celebrating who Jesus Jesus is. And we're all there. Every ethnicity. All of them. But it's those who are in Christ. Those who believe in Jesus. Not those that give intellectual assent and go, yeah, I guess. It's those that say, no, I need Jesus. I want Jesus. I believe See, because that want, that need, that belief will lead you to a different life. It won't be overnight, but it will lead you to become a new person. But there's a guy named Brennan Manning. And um, Brennan Manning's an author. 
and I love him because he's he's got he's he's passed away, but um, he was a, a a Marine, fought in Vietnam, ended up getting out of Vietnam, uh, became a Catholic priest, uh, ended up becoming an alcoholic while he was a Catholic priest, and um, he ended up having this relationship with this woman. He got defrocked as a priest, married this woman, fell in and out of alcoholism his whole life, ended up divorcing this woman. So he's this guy, this war vet that suffers incredible PTSD, um, wounds from his family. He's an alcoholic. He's messed up his whole life over and over and over. And he writes about grace and he has, has a book called All is Grace. And I wanna read you an excerpt from the end of it because he talks about grace. He talks about this scene in Revelation 7 that I just explained to you. He says, Do we, I, I hope we have that quote, because salvation is by grace through faith. I believe that among the countless number of people standing at, in front of the throne and in front of the lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see a woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse that she did the best she could face with grueling alternatives. The businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. The insecure clergyman addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. The sexually abused teen, molested by his father, now selling his body on the street, who as he falls asleep each night after his last trick, whispers the name of the unknown God he learned about in Sunday school as a child. But how? Right? How are those people going to be there, we may ask. Then the voice says, this is the voice of Jesus, by the way, the voice of God. It says, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then Manning says this, there they are. Oh, wait, there we are. The multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life, bested by trials. They're wearing the bloody garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. And here's what he says, my friends, if this is not good news to you, then you have never understood the gospel of grace. This is what I want you to know, that you are not enough, but God is enough. That you are not enough, but Jesus is enough. That God loves you, that he's crazy about you, that he's come for you. And he's off Jesus has offered himself to you to be your friend, a true friend, the one that would never reject you, that would never have a boundary. All of our friendships have boundaries. We'll only go so far. I'll only do so much for even my best of friends. There's a limit, right? We have a cliff that we will go to for our friends. We have a cliff that we will go to for our loved ones. But here's what I wanna tell you about Jesus. This is what I wanna tell you about the heart of God for you. Jesus jumps off the cliff for you. His love is endless. His forgiveness is endless. And the question is, do you want that? Do you want Jesus? Do any of you? Do you want him? Listen, if you want him, come and get him because he's offered freely to us. We're so distracted by everything else, but the, 
the Son of God stands right in your presence and says, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to change you. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship that lasts your whole lifetime, not a fuzzy moment. But you have to receive it. It says in John 1.10, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That you got to take possession of it. In a moment, wherever you're at, online, venues, campuses, we're going to pray. And if you've never done that before, I want to encourage you to invite him in. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. That the Son of God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to change your life, change you. But you have to take hold of it. Let's bow our heads and pray.